Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Falcoholic podcast listeners, welcome to another episode of the Falcoholic Live. This is your host, Kevin Knight, here to remind you that you can join us live on YouTube for our Wednesday night shows, which are at 8, 10 p.m. Eastern every single week, and also immediately following Falcons games for our post-game shows. Also want to remind you guys to check out our Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com slash Live. if you'd like to support the show and unlock some exclusive perks, including high-quality ad-free versions of the live video show, including the Wednesday show, and also starting now, exclusive episodes of our post-game show in podcast format, uh, as well as some other cool perks like exclusive Falcons Q&A sessions with the crew and some cool guests. Also want to remind folks to check out the community Discord server, which you can find a link to on our YouTube page. You can hang out there and chat with fellow fans of the Falcons uh, on game day and otherwise, and that's a lot of fun. Uh, Thank you guys once again for tuning into the show, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to episode 173 of the Falcoholic Live. I'm your host, Kevin Knight, joined by two excellent guests this evening. First of all, we have with us David Walker, a.k.a. DW, because I'm the only one that ever calls him David Walker, but it's literally because I made the nameplate and, you know, I feel like DW didn't take up enough of, you know, the the size, so I had to do the full name, but he is Falcoholic DW on the Twitters, host of the Falcoholic Podcast and, you know, excellent columnist as well. DW, how are you doing this evening? I'm great. I'm ready to talk about the Falcons. Yes, well prepared, it looks like. So uh, I'm glad because we're going to talk about the 2021 season. Not not long, but we're going to talk about it. So I, I, it looks like you're well prepared for that discussion. Also with us tonight, we have Aaron Freeman at Falcfans on Twitter, host of the Lockdown Falcons podcast and also a columnist at our wonderful site thefalcoholic.com Aaron how are we doing tonight I'm doing all right you know I, I feel like I'm cheating with the whole falcoholic commonalist because I compared to you guys <laughs> my writing has not been as prolific and I, I feel like I'm getting away with something there but uh, I appreciate that yeah um, it's really... quality over quantity quality yeah, over quantity exactly. that's what I always say you know as I submit a column every once a month basically yeah well you know it, it's all so we can claim you know it's it's all about the falcoholics sort of taking over all of Falcons Twitter we just have to slowly acquire you know we're like the Microsoft <laughs> of Falcons Twitter we just have to slowly acquire you know every piece of it until we own everything and then we'll just complete a hostile takeover mm-hmm. um, so I'm glad that you were you know willing to, to help us accomplish that goal we really appreciate that so. yeah you know uh, many years ago I was trying to uh, instigate the alcoholic versus blog and dirty uh, <laughs> war as a way to get both of those sites to destroy themselves. And uh, so falcfans.com could rise from the ashes, you know, atop the, the world. But of course, falcfans.com, you know, RIP, uh, RIP, yeah. you know, fell into the ashes itself. And, and so eventually <laughs> I realized that, you know, 
uh, no offense to blog and dirty, but uh, the Falcoholics sort of leading that civil war. Uh, and you know, speaking of Falcons, you know, it's always about some type of civil war. Yes, whether it's uh, Falcoholic versus Blog and Dirty, Matt Ryan, bad, he's terrible, he's good, whatever the case may be. And I'm sure we'll have plenty more civil wars to talk about, uh, oh, yeah. uh online in the years to come. Oh, yeah, absolutely, we will. Uh, and you know, I, I do, you know, some offense to Blogging Dirty because, uh, you know, <laughs> that, because Blogging Dirty, you know, a lot of the key contributors to the Falcoholic.com, you know, were once Blogging Dirty members um, that were, you know, convinced, we'll say, to, to move to the Falcoholic. And, you know, none of us regret those moves. So, you know, Blogging Dirty did it to themselves. So uh, it's sort of, you know, you just, you laid the groundwork for it, Aaron, and then it sort of all fell into place. But yeah, uh, see, I wish this type of, uh, you know, beef was going on a couple of years ago when when filefans.com was still going but uh yeah you know, we'll just get unfortunately it all yeah it just the falcoholic took over everything but you yeah. know we're glad to have you uh we're glad to have you on board so <laughs> well guys we are going to talk about the falcons not just about falcons twitter rivalries and the like so um let's let's kick it off with a fa- with uh talking about the 2021 season a little bit you know not too much i know you get, a lot of us are ready to move on but We've had some time to digest it. Um, the Falcons finished seven and ten, as you guys know. Uh, pretty disappointing season in terms of actual statistics. In terms of the win column, big improvement from last year. But it's hard to sort of gauge, you know, how much of that is legit and how much of that is sort of uh, a product of an easy schedule, among other things. So uh, let's let's get into that a little bit. Uh, Aaron, I'll let you take the first crack at it. I guess Arthur Smith, year one. Sort of, where do you come in on on that? Are you impressed? Are you sort of neutral, or did you find it yourself sort of disappointed in the end product? I'll I'll be honest. I was disappointed, but again, I think probably because my expectations maybe a little bit higher than what other people had maybe going into the season. Um, and unlike others, I think there's a tendency for people to have high expectations, and then when things you know, sort of disappoint them. They they sort of reset it, and it's like, oh, you know, like we knew this team was going to be bad. And I'm like, did we know that team that you know was going to be bad uh, at the at the beginning of the season? So I, I was a little disappointed, but at the same time, like, you know, generally my my opinion on the season was, was just basically mixed. Like I I went into the season thinking like seven wins was like the minimum that they would get this year, and so the fact that they hit that doesn't necessarily impress me as much as maybe it does for other people. Um, and in, that includes losing Calvin Ridley halfway through the season. So um, for me, it's just kind of like, you know, it's fine. Uh, like, I, I'm not going to sit here and praise it because I, I just think, you know, at the end of the day, when you when we all sat down and watched this team on Sunday, you know, outside of a handful of games, we weren't really enjoying the team on, on the field. And I, I don't know how you can come away that impressed by what was a, a pretty dull season and, and one of the duller seasons, I think we've seen from this team and we've had many over the last couple of years, but this one did not feel like it was uh, a major step in, 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 in the positive direction. Yeah, it was, it was definitely sort of, it wasn't like last year where it was just sort of like one crush, crushing loss after another in rapid succession. They were sort of finding, you know, new and exciting ways to lose every single week. And like part, you know, in some ways that was exciting, but not for the reasons you want. Um, 
And this year was sort of the opposite of that. They were like winning and losing in e- almost an equal measure, but it was just sort of boring. Like they never really felt like they were a serious contender. They were in the mix, but I don't think anyone had illusions of like, oh, they could sneak into the playoffs and like do something. It was like, no, they're going to maybe they could sneak into the playoffs and then, you know, get uh, executed like the Eagles and the Cardinals were, uh, you know. So obviously. I think in hindsight, probably good that they didn't sneak into the playoffs in terms of draft positioning. You know, instead they get the eighth overall pick, they win seven games. You know, that aspect of it is good, but I definitely agree with you that it wasn't uh, a great season or even a good season. But yeah, we will have to see uh, more uh, from Arthur Smith, I think, going forward. But before I get into sort of my opinion, I want to get DW's take on that as well. How how are you feeling uh, about the... uh, How are you feeling about basically the 2021 season now that we've had some time to digest it? I find it funny that I was a little bit more pessimistic about the season going in. <laughs> I I had them pegged at about seven to eight wins. Um, and I think if you had told me before the season began that they were going to be without Calvin Ridley for the majority of the season, I would have knocked that down a notch or two. Maybe, you know, uh, six wins with, you know, seven, eight being the absolute cap. So, I mean, they, they kind of fell where uh, I think they reasonably should have. I think it's the way they got there that was just frustrating. It was, you know, the defense was what I expected. It was bad. It was really bad. Um, the pass rush was arguably worse than I thought it would be. I thought they would get maybe the 20 sacks. Like, it was really bad this year. <laughs> um, there were some surprises. Like, I thought I didn't expect A.J. Terrell to take as big of a leap as he did from year one to year two. Um, he went from a, a decent corner, and I thought he was going to be a good corner you know maybe like a top 15 corner uh but him sort of launching into the top you know top five top seven depending on where you you know you put him was a big a a bit of a surprise um the offense was um you know mixed bag uh i i actually loved what cal pitts did in his first year even though the the fantasy football people um hated that he had one (laughs) touchdown obviously yeah yeah, right obviously patterson was uh uh, shocking to see the kind of season he had. And Matt Ryan was, uh, he did enough to both uh, give ammunition to his, his, uh, his fans and his haters, which was entirely frustrating. Like there were games where he had these passes that were just awful. Like just, it looked like his arm had fallen off and I had those minutes of panic. And then he would have a game where he looked like there was nothing wrong. Um, so yeah, it was, it was about where I thought they would be. Um, it was nice to see them win close games for once, <laughs> but I think that if you put too much into that kind of statistic, you're, that's not the right way to look at this team. Um, but as for the 2021 season, I, I agree with Aaron. It was, it was really boring. There were only a couple <laughs> games that I even remotely enjoyed watching. I got to the end of the season and when we got done, I told Dave, I cannot do every game recap. Yeah, uh, for the season going that was forward, brutal. that yeah. that made me want to quit writing about this team. Was <laughs> watching this entire season. Yeah, so mi- mixed bag with you know, mostly <laughs> uh, just a boring sort yeah. of uh, drudge of seventeen games. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying there because like the wins, there weren't any like great wins that got you like hyped. I mean, there were like the Saint. I guess the Saints win that was like the one that yeah. was sort of like that was a fun win. I think everybody enjoyed that. Everybody enjoys being the Saints. Um, 
So, you know, I think that one was sort of the exception, but otherwise it was just these sort of close wins against bad teams for the most part. And, um, you know, in hindsight, it looks, you know, the Dolphins win looks a little bit better considering what the Dolphins did like immediately after playing the Falcons, basically. Um, and, you know, I think, uh, I think the Falcons did an okay job, but it was just so concerning to see them get just like just blasted by every team with a pulse you know basically anyone with an above average roster was just going to take them take them to the woodshed and they did um sometimes to disastrous results and you know that's why you end up with stats like the falcons you know point differential (laughs) being like the worst ever for a seven win team or something like that and um you know i think they have the worst dvoa ever for a seven win team um so i think we need to take the season certainly with a, a grain of salt and that um and that this team was probably not as good as the record shows, but you do like you give you give credit for wins to an extent. Like don't don't get this confused and be like, oh, they were terrible. Like I think Arthur Smith and, and company deserve credit for beating the teams of an equivalent talent level. Like they were doing some things right that they were consistently able to beat teams that were worse than them and better and like you know roughly equivalent to them. We saw you know Dan Quinn teams constantly sort of play down to bad teams and that sort of thing. And these Falcons played played you know basically as they should against those teams that were equivalent to them they just couldn't beat anybody (laughs) that was good um which is a problem but uh i do think the coaching staff deserves some credit for for beating the teams they should have consistently um you know i think the only one you could really point to and say they really should have beaten was probably washington and, and carolina you know, two games. Um, and if they, they, they really should have beat Washington, like really should have beat Washington. So yeah. that would have been, you know, eight and nine. Um, and then, you know, you beat, you beat Carolina that week and you're nine and, you know, then you're nine and eight and it's just totally different story. But, um, it, it, it basically, I, I agree with what you guys said. I, I don't think that I'm like upset with the way this season went. I think it was sort of a little bit worse than I was anticipating, but overall it's sort of like, you can't really fairly evaluate Arthur Smith's offense or the team as a whole. Um, I mean, you can evaluate the, the 2021 version of the team and say that this was like the, one of the worst rosters in the NFL outside of Matt Ryan, who was probably the saving grace of the entire offense. Like if you put a average to below average quarterback, in, this is like one of the worst teams in the NFL. So um, <laughs> I think uh, we just, I'm sort of in a wait and see, like I didn't see enough from Arthur Smith to be confident, but I also don't think anything there was anything like glaring that I'm super concerned about. Like, Oh, this, this is terrible. This is never going to work. It's just, we've got, uh, we've got a long way to go to where this roster is like competitive. Uh, that's, we're going to talk about that, you know, later in the show, but, um, it's just, uh, it's a difficult, difficult situation. Uh, in terms of the roster, and I feel like, I mean, I'm not sure, like, give Sean McVay this roster, does he get more than seven wins? You know, give Bill Belichick this roster, does he get more than seven wins? You know, maybe, but, like, how many more? And, like, I'm not convinced that they do. Like, I'm not convinced that an elite coach squeezes that much more out of this roster, and um, I think you could put some of the blame for that at Terry Fontenot's feet, and that, you know, maybe they didn't maximize their, their limited free agent signings. You know, they didn't necessarily get the best possible guys Obviously, it's too early to judge the initial draft class, but they didn't get a tremendous return on on anyone other than Kyle Pitts so far. Um, but it's obviously only year one, so we got a long way to go on that too. So it's just nothing alarming, but also nothing that I'm like, oh, this is going to be great next year. So I guess that's I think we're all sort of in a similar boat with the season, but um, it's difficult. 
Uh, but yeah, anything else anyone wants to add on the 2021 season before we leave it in the rearview mirror? I I will say not to pick a fight or anything. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not a necessarily a big believer in the narrative that the roster was as terrible as we like to say it is. I, like again, I'm not going to sit here and tell you this was one of the most talented rosters in the NFL, but I felt like this was a roster that while I don't necessarily have seen it, you know, winning more than, you know, nine or so games this year, I do feel like they could have been at least a little bit more competitive in, in some of the games where they got just kind of blasted, you know, right from the start. And we, we kind of knew midway through the second quarter, oh, this game is over. Those, those are the sort of the things where like, I feel like this roster was good enough. And, and we kind of saw this in the Buffalo game and you can certainly argue, you know, it was Buffalo playing down to the Falcons and the weather conditions contributed to all that sort of stuff. But like there were a couple of games this year where I felt like the Falcons did start to play up to their opponent. And then clearly, you know, Buffalo is a much more talented team. So they obviously, when they basically got their act together, were able to sort of put their foot on the gas. But, you know, there were, there were a lot of games where I just felt like, you know, losing 43 to three to the Cowboys, like, you know, I'm not saying that you, you should have dropped a 40 burger on them, but you can't get 17 points. You know, you get blasted by the, the 49ers in, in the way that the Falcons did, where it just wasn't that competitive. The Patriots, you can't even score a, a single point in that game. And so it was just stuff like that, that like, it's hard for me to be too down on the roster because I do feel like they could have been a little bit better again, probably not resulting in a whole lot more wins, but um, you know, it just feels like, you know, that point differential that you pointed out, like it shouldn't have been as bad as it was. I thought if the coaching staff was getting a little bit more out of the talent, but as you say, like, I think this upcoming season will, will know a little bit more because the, obviously the expectations going in every off season is that you're going to get better from a talent standpoint. They'll have a little bit more cap flexibility. So they may not have to rely so much on the, the Brandon Copeland's and the Steven Means's of the world uh, to fill out some key roster spots. Um, so I think, you know, this upcoming season will really be able to have a much more definitive opinion on sort of whether the Falcons are trending in the right direction. If this coaching staff is really the, the, the one that we want to sort of oversee this, you know, whatever you want to call this era, this seemingly transition period, transitioning from the Dimitrov area to, you know, whatever the, the future holds for the Fontenot and, and, and Arthur Smith era. So I think we'll we'll be able to have more definitive answers, um, you know a year from now, but uh, at this point in time, it, it's hard for me to feel too good about, you know, heaping praise on, on sort of the job that the coaching staff did. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, you know, I, I think you could obviously quibble about the roster. You know, I, I don't necessarily, I think it was really bad. I, I mean, I, I, I think if you want to say it was like not the worst, like, I don't think it's literally the worst roster. I don't think any roster with Matt Ryan on it could be like a bottom three roster. Like the, if you have a franchise quarterback, you can't be that bad. Like there's so many teams that don't even have that. Uh, so I, I, I get that angle of it. I guess I just, once Calvin Ridley was gone, it was just, I felt like it was just a constant struggle to try to get enough pieces together to make this a functional offense. When, when Calvin Ridley was here, I think they should have been better than they were. I mean, I think they were, they were okay when Calvin Ridley was here. And then once he was gone, it was just a disaster. And I think you could certainly say that's an, a little bit of an indictment on Smith because they didn't really rebound from the loss of that. Um, they did make some changes like the running game got a little bit better as the year went on and things like that. But um, 
one thing you, you said that I agree with is like when it was bad, it was just really bad. Like it was like a tsunami of badness. Like it was like they just wouldn't score in the entire game. Like it was like, oh, they started off bad. They just don't score. Like, oh, against the Cowboys, it's like, okay, we, we didn't we got to the red zone twice. We didn't score. That's okay. We'll get there. No, like three points. Like they just couldn't do anything. So I don't know if it was Matt pressing or what was going on, but um, they definitely just really – when it rained, it poured in terms of how bad the offense was. And I think that is a little bit concerning for sure. Um, so, yeah. Uh, DW, anything else you want to add about the 2021 season before we, we turn the page? Yeah, the, the, I guess my last thought on that is I'm sort of with Aaron. I don't think they, the roster is as bad. But I think you can be bad in the wrong spots where it overly hampers what you try to do. So, like, if I think about offensive line, and this is something Aaron hammered all season, you know, when people were talking about Caleb McGarry, um, really the biggest issue is if you are consistently allowing an interior pressure, I don't care if your quarterback is Matt Ryan or if it's Justin Fields or if it's Patrick Mahomes, interior pressure is the worst kind of pressure to allow on a quarterback. Uh, and we had that not just from Jalen Mayfield. You know, Matt Hennessy, uh, he got walked back repeatedly. Uh, multiple times this season. And, you know, it, it's easy to focus on Mayfield because he had some embarrassingly bad plays where he didn't even touch guys. But, you know, the the, the offensive line, if if it was just McGarry that was bad, you can, you can do more to help a tackle. You can put a tight end out there. You can, you know, give chips. Um, but if you're bad in the wrong spot, if you're bad on the interior, I think that is much, much harder to overcome without making personnel changes, um, you know, without going to – you know, a gossip to, to replace your uh, starter at left guard. So I think the Falcons were bad in the worst possible places. They were on defense. They were, they were bad at the pass rush. So you had quarterbacks that had all day to sit in the pocket and, and pass. Um, you can be bad on defense with like, you know, a linebacker, uh, both linebackers. But if you've got a pass rush, it's going to mask some of that. So yeah. I, I, you know, I think the Falcons, they do have talent. Like look across, you, you know, you look at AJ Terrell, one of the top corners in the league now. You know, Matt Ryan is still a very competent uh, quarterback. Uh, they do have good players on the offensive line. Uh, you know, uh, Kyle Pitts, Patterson were not a terrible duo. I mean, that's a yeah. good talent, but they were they were really bad in the wrong places, and I think that's where they really got held back. So I actually think they're closer to being competitive if they fix some of those key spots. And I think I mentioned this to Aaron on Twitter. I think if you fix the interior of the offensive line, the offense looks much different in 2022, even with the same skill talent that they had this year. Yeah. No, I think that's totally fair. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I listened to, I was driving a lot uh, this week. So I listened to pretty much like, I think the last like five episodes of locked on Falcons, you know, shout out. Uh, um, so I, I'm Good familiar man. with what you've been saying. Yeah. Uh, Aaron. And then um, the real secret to why you came on the show is of course you complimented my mock draft and that's that, you know, once that happened, then you we were on for sure. I made sure to book you. So um, yeah, we'll definitely talk about that too. But um, yeah, before we transition to off season talk, do you want to uh, remind folks to please like, and subscribe if you haven't done so already? Uh, all those help us out. Leave a comment. Um, you can check out, our Patreon page. If you want to support the show on a monthly basis, get access to our Falcons Q and a session, which is going to be next week, by the way, uh, we're also going to be rolling out the, uh, the actual YouTube videos, not just live stuff. I have some planned, uh, in the hopper already scouting stuff, salary cap stuff, all that. But if you want to, uh, have a say in which players get scouted and what topics get covered first, 
Patreon is the place to go. We're going to be uh, having polling there where you can pick, you can tell me which players you want scouting reports on first, which topics you want covered first, and uh, I will be taking, you know, your polls into account. Uh, I promise. So uh, you can check that out. It's patreon.com slash Live. Also, we're still in the midst of our uh, Senior Bowl fundraiser. We got this show and one more to go before I take off for Mobile. Uh, so if anyone, if you're interested in donating to that, all tips this month are going towards the Senior Bowl Fund. Uh, and George Costanza is uh, matching all donations, or at least he was matching them up until this point. Uh, don't feel obligated to continue doing it, George. You've already given us a lot. So, uh, But if you're interested, uh, that is uh, throw in a question. I know we have a lot tonight already that we're going to get to. Uh, all donations this month are going towards Senior Bowl, uh, which will be in uh, just two weeks, I think, now. So uh, we're, we're getting there, getting closer, guys. Uh, going to be bringing you full coverage of the Senior Bowl, including live shows, including uh, interviews with players. Not sure if I can live stream them. I kind of doubt it, but I will uh, be uploading them as soon as I can after they are completed. So look forward to that, guys. Thank you to everyone who's donated, uh, to everyone who's been supporting us and, and just tuning in and watching. We appreciate you guys. Um, all right. So I know we got a bunch of questions. Um, so let's, let's get to some of these before we dive into our offseason preview. So First of all, we got George Costanza with the $10. Thank you just so much, George. He says, a uh, couple donations to catch catch me up on the matching. So he says, DW, take a big swig for me, bro. Uh, he says, I'm ready to move on from the 2021 season. Looking forward to the offseason. Going to amend my draft choice, giving, uh, since we now have the eighth pick. He was previously Team Jordan Davis. Uh, he says, still think Jordan Davis is the best choice. However, I don't think we're going to take him at eight because of value. My choice now is Evan Neal. I think he might be there at eight. Lord have mercy. We need the O-line help. Also love to see Karloftis or Hamilton uh, be there, but I don't think they will be. So if Evan Neal's there at eight, I just think you can't pass up possibly a decade plus long offensive tackle when you desperately need that offensive line help. Jordan Jordan Davis was a beast in the national championship game. You saw him eat up that Bama interior, but right now Evan Neal is the pick. All right. George is changing his pick. This is a big deal. So... Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I mean, let's, let's break that down a little bit. Obviously we got lots of draft stuff to talk about. Um, Jordan Davis, obviously still on the board at eight. I sort of agree with George's, uh, take that he's probably not going to be the pick at eight. I I would love Evan Neal. I also think he's probably likely to be gone, but DW, I'll let you get the first crack at this. Do you think, uh, either Evan Neal or Jordan Davis will be the pick at eight, or are you sort of eyeing someone else at this point? I'll be shocked if it's Jordan Davis. Um, for the simple reason that I think if you're in the top 10, if you're grabbing defensive line, it's got to be a pass rusher. It's got to be someone that can generate consistent pressure on a quarterback. And Jordan Davis is a, he's a monster in, in many senses, but he's not a uh, guy that's going to give you 10 plus sacks a year. I mean, the guy, even at Georgia was playing what, below 50% of defensive snaps. Um, I, I just can't, I, I don't think you could justify that with a top 10 pick. Um, even though I think he's gonna, he has the potential to be a fantastic player. Uh, plus, uh, I am on, I am all aboard the Anthony Rush hive uh, at this point. <laughs> um, I I felt like he was one of the best um, signings for the Falcons this year that, that sort of flew under the radar. The, the their ability to stop the run improved dramatically uh, when they they started bringing him into the uh, to the fold. Now, if it's if if you're telling me top ten, the Falcons take offensive line. Um, or corner or pass rusher. In my mind, those are premium positions. And I'm 
at this point, I'm not going to disagree with any of them. Even if the offensive line is, you know, really slated to be a tackle more than a guard, uh, because it, it, I think my draft philosophy has changed some over time. And it's if you're getting a premium position again, uh, you know, quarterback obviously is up there, but only if you think he's uh, your next franchise guy. Um, but if you're getting offensive line, a top tier offensive lineman, you're getting a top tier cornerback, you're getting a top tier pass rusher. Okay. And every year, like every year, if you tell me the first round, the Falcons have five good starters in the offensive line and a top tier offensive lineman falls to you, take them. I'd rather have six great offensive linemen lined up than passing on a, a top tier talent. So uh, no to Jordan Davis. Yes to any of those premium positions. Fair. Fair enough. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we also have another question about the draft. So before I get Aaron's take on this, I'll just read that one off quick uh but we got noah cook with the three dollars says go dogs so happy with most of georgia sports this year also it's kind of weird that we're third in the division with a seven and ted record thoughts on potential picks for next season so yeah i mean a similar question aaron uh with the falcons having the eighth pick you know obviously we talked about evan neal we talked about jordan davis again anyone you're considering there uh at this point as like a favorite yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting because I was listening to the athletic NFL show today and they had Dane Brugler and Lance Zierlein on to talk about the draft. And that's going to be a thing uh, that they do, I think, every Wednesday on on that podcast. And I used to listen to Dane and Lance on their own podcast, Prospect the Pros, last year. Very informative stuff uh, from those two guys. And they were saying some interesting things on today's episode, uh, talking about how you know, this draft class, because you're not looking at sort of the premium that we've seen the last couple of years with the quarterback position, how teams are going to stack their boards at the top is going to be very different this year. Um, and you're not necessarily looking at the premium primetime talents. And they were talking a little bit about comparing it to that 2019 draft where Kyler Murray went number one and you had Quinn and Williams and I think uh, Nick Bosa go right after the board on that. And then, you know, in my mind, I'm looking at this draft class based off of what I've my homework that I've done. Again, I've only dipped my toes in, into uh, some of the top prospects. Uh, but, you know, you go back to that 2013 draft class that didn't have necessarily high level quarterbacks. The first quarterback didn't go to like pick 14 with EJ Manuel uh, in that draft class. And I, I kind of look at this draft as like at the top where the Falcons are picking probably not going to wind up as good a draft as 2019, but probably better than 2013, which is a draft. If you go back and look at that draft and look at like basically the first 15 picks, it's just bust after bust after bust um, in that draft. So I think it will turn out better than that, but I think that's going to make it so that, you know, this is one of those drafts potentially, and this was something that Dane and, and Lance were talking about on the podcast. This is one of those drafts where picking highs is maybe not going to be as advantageous because sort of piggybacking off of something that DW just said, where it's like when you're picking in the top 10, you kind of want to get premium positions. You want to get quarterbacks. You want to get wide receivers. You want to get offensive tackles. You want to get edge rushers. You want to get corners. And this draft has edges. This has draft has corners. It has offensive tackles. Um, and obviously the Falcons have need at, at several of those positions. Um, but it is one of those things where, uh, you know, it, it, it may lead to some teams reaching on a player because it feels like, well, you have to get that premium position. And that leads guys like Jordan Davis, interior guys, linebackers like uh, N'Kobe Dean, um, safeties, Kyle Hamilton, uh, among others, uh, may not be as valued 
uh, in this draft as uh, they may should be. And that may lead to, uh, you know, some of those guys sliding into the teens. And we may be looking back at this draft, you know, three, four years down the road and saying, man, you know, those teams picking at the top were kind of reaching on guys at premium position and teams picking in the middle were able to really land some of these premium talents. You know, I'm, I'm infamous on uh, at least Georgia Bulldogs Twitter for not necessarily being a huge Jordan Davis fan. It's not because I don't think he's a very good player. I think he ha- he's going to be a, an excellent pro. I just wonder, you know, are you drafting a guy that high that's not going to necessarily give you, as DW mentioned it, uh, value on, on on sort of third downs in that regard? And, and do you want to do that? And the history of, of taking guys like that uh, isn't necessarily great in the draft. So, um, you know, for me with the Falcons pick, like I, I'm at I'm at an early enough stage where I'm open to multiple possibilities. Um, I'm not necessarily narrowing it down, but sort of the point I was trying to get across is like I, I do wonder if like what we sort of perceive the teams, the players that are going to go high in this draft that are going to be in the conversation for the Falcons, maybe because of the perception that maybe this draft class isn't necessarily as top heavy as, as some recent years. Um, you know, where we're at when we get to April is going to be in a very different place. So um, to answer the question, you know, I don't really know what the Falcons are going to do. And yeah. I, I would I would say my recommendation based off of that is maybe, uh, you know, not necessarily go dying on a hill for the Falcons to draft a specific player or specific person this early in the process. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. Um, and the guy that I'm really hoping to see there was just uh, tipped. So we'll read that off before I get to mine. But Jason Gaines with the $2. Uh, if Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton is available at the eighth overall pick, the Falcons should take him. I think he's a Pro Bowl safety with the potential to be an all-pro. Also, uh, I consider trading Calvin Ridley for multiple draft picks, ideally second or third round picks if he wants out. Um, yeah, so we'll get to the Ridley thing because it's a big deal. There's a lot of people talking about it. We will definitely touch on Ridley tonight. Um, I know there was another uh, Jason Gaines tip about trading Ridley as well. So I'll, I'll Jason, I'll get to your earlier tip when we get to more of the free agency talk. Just when I, I did see it, I just want to let you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, like the guy that I'm hoping is there is Kyle Hamilton, and uh, I think it's probably not super likely because I think teams know how good he is. Uh, but he's a safety, and teams are weird about drafting safeties. Um, you know, there was like a guy like Jeremiah Russo-Koromo, who's technically a linebacker, but also was kind of a safety. You know, he fell out of the first round entirely. Judging on his rookie season, you know, he probably deserved to be taken higher. Um, Kyle Hamilton's such a special player. Like, that's a guy that you just sort of ignore. It, he's sort of the Kyle Pitts of this class. It's like, oh, is that the most valuable position? No, but is he the most talented player? Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, and, you know, I... I I just, uh, I mean, I loved Isaiah Simmons coming out, but I think Kyle Hamilton's better. Um, like, I think he's a better player for what Isaiah Simmons was, and Kyle Hamilton's sort of like that, but just better. Um, and I loved Isaiah Simmons, so you know how much I must love Kyle Hamilton as a result. But um, I just don't know, like, 
it's really going to be some team, you know, saying, oh, he's the best player available. We're going to take him. And with a lot, with, I think, what, two teams with multiple picks before the Falcons? Um, maybe it's just one now. I can't remember. But um, it seems like if you have two picks, you're either trading down with one of them or you're going to take the BPA with one of them. Um, so I think it's, it's possible that Hamilton, you know, goes early, but, um, only the giants, only the giants only, have two. Oh, that's only the giants. Okay. It used to be a couple more, but I think with people winning, those got pushed down a little bit. Um, yeah. But what do you guys think about Hamilton? Is that someone you would consider at eight or is the fact that we, I mean, I think we do need a safety, but I mean, it's probably not as glaring a need as like, you know, offensive line or edge, but what do you guys think about, uh, Hamilton? I like your Isaiah Simmons comparison. Um, you know, I saw Simmons as a safety. Uh, obviously, he's playing linebacker in the NFL. I didn't love him as much as a linebacker uh, in that projection. And and I think you're right with Hamilton. Like, there's not going to be any of this sort of ambig- ambiguity about what, what, what position he plays at the next level. People are going to play him as a safety. And I think the main difference I like about Kyle Hamilton that was one of the reasons why I wasn't necessarily as in love with Simmons, particularly playing as a linebacker, is that to me, Simmons wasn't that physical a striker that you kind of want um, when you look at some of the successful safety college safeties that transitioned to linebacker, like a Thomas Davis, you know, Georgia fans know that, you know, Thomas Davis would literally murder people on, on yeah. football fields when he was playing mm-hmm. at UGA. Um, and so that transition to the next level at the linebacker was a good one. And I think the thing I really like about Kyle Hamilton is he does have that ability to be a striker. Um, and even though you're not going to necessarily watch his highlight clip and, and see a ton of big hits, um, the, the skill set is there. And I think he could certainly be a player uh, that can, you know, be more of that at the next level uh, where he's not necessarily as worried about like targeting penalties and, and those types of things at the college level. So I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Kyle Hamilton. I think he would be a great fit for the Falcons if they took him at eight. Um, and we'll just sort of see how the rest of the league values him. Cause again, going back to the point I just made, you know, safety is not one of those premium positions and, you know, there have been guys that have been gone in the top 10 in recent years. Um, but you know, that's a position that you have an opportunity where it does seem like guys tend to slide a little bit as we get closer to the draft because of what you said, Kevin, uh, where, you know, NFL teams don't value that position as much. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan. So I I'm hoping that he falls because I think, I think this team is like, and we, we're going to talk about this like very soon, like imminently, but I think we need to have a serious conversation about, you know, are they really serious about being a competitor and do they really think they're like an inch away from being a competitor or are they just going to try to stock up and, and, you know, sort of tacitly low key admit that this is actually a rebuild and sort of always was, um, that doesn't mean get rid of Matt Ryan, doesn't mean sell the farm, do all this stuff, but like, if you're not one piece away, I think you're, you need to sort of consider like we're picking at eight in a class that's not really top heavy. Uh, if we're going to stay at eight, which is another topic of discussion, we need to take a player that's worth the eighth overall pick. And Kyle Hamilton, I think, is one of the players you could legitimately say he's worth the eighth overall pick. Um, this is like a blue chip guy. This is a, a special player. Um, so I hope he's there. I hope because that would make the discussion real easy about who should they take there. And I, I don't think they'd hesitate to do that. But, um, you know, I think the discussion about a trade down is one that we need to have, too. And we will do that in just a moment. Let me get to uh, another 
tip here from uh, George George Costanza catching up on the matching with the $18. George, thank you so much, man. We appreciate that. He says, wish Adnan was here. I knew the dogs would do it. Team of destiny, baby. First the Braves, now the dogs. Falcons and Hawks still to come. Yeah, you know, with the rest, they got the other teams got to do some catching up. But you know, hopefully they, you know, the Braves and the and the Georgia Bulldogs have paved the way. Now we just need to follow in their footsteps. So, um, you know, I'm hoping for good things there. Uh, we also got Dylan Lee Spires with the ten dollars. Says uh, Cameron Thomas would love to see him at the Senior Bowl. He will be at the Senior Bowl. Uh, I think that's probably what you're saying. Um, from San Diego State. Uh, yeah, I I like Cam Thomas. I haven't extensively watched him. He's on my list to catch before I get there. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think the senior bowl is an opportunity for him to really improve his stock because I think he, he has the potential potentially to, uh, potential, potentially, wow, uh, <laughs> to, to rise up draft boards. So, uh, that is definitely a player to watch for sure. Um, but speaking of drafting in general, um, I do want to touch on, on my mock draft, uh, quickly, just cause I know a lot of people were asking about it and mentioning it. Um, so the Falcons in, in my mock draft, for those who don't know, I did trade down from eight, a small trade um, to 11 with Washington to pick up a second. Now people are arguing like you should get more or less for that or whatever. Um, I think a second's like fair. I mean, I, I don't, I would like to get more. And in the scenario that happened where the Panthers didn't take a quarterback and no one took a quarterback before the Falcons were on the clock, you know, I think there are teams that are going to want their quarterback ahead of Denver, which is why I think the Falcons having eight is actually really advantageous for a trade down. Um, but, you know, uh, it depends. Like, they could trade down to as far as 20 with Pittsburgh potentially and get a much bigger haul, but then you're picking at 20 instead of, you know, in the early part of the draft. And as Aaron was saying, maybe that's not such a bad thing considering the strength of this class. Um, but, you know, I, I took uh, Kenyon Green, the offensive lineman, and I know, Aaron, you were talking about him a little bit on one of your recent shows about how uh, he is a bigger, nastier offensive lineman, but also he is actually athletic enough to play in the zone scheme. So that's important. Uh, <laughs> instead of trying to square peg guys, as you were saying. Um, also also controversially took a quarterback, Desmond Ritter, in the second round. And I think um, you had some thoughts about that as well. So I'll, I'll let you sort of uh, talk about the potential of adding someone like Kenyon Green. You know, he is potentially probably going to play interior offensive line. I mean, he, he can play tackle. He has. I think he's like an all-pro guard potentially and probably like a solid tackle. But um, And then the quarterback thing, I know you have takes about as well. So, uh, yeah, you, you can take that in any order you want. But um, talk about, you know, you don't have to talk about Ritter particularly, but the potential of taking a quarterback at the top of the second. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about Kenyon Green a, a little bit. Yeah, he's not necessarily a guy that, or at least – Based off my film study, Texas A&M doesn't run a lot of outside zone stuff, but like you see the athleticism that he could do it. Like when, you know, when he's asked to make a reach block on like the one or two times a game that he's asked to do, he has the athleticism to do that. So the skill set is there. It's just a question of sort of developing him um, as far as, you know, taking him, you know, at 11. I don't personally expect Kenyon Green to be drafted that high. But again, going back to something I already talked about, like, you know, this draft could be weird uh, because yeah. of, of where teams sort of value it uh, in that regard. And someone may sit there and, and including the Falcons may sit there and say, look, we know Kenyon green is a versatile, you know, capable player with a lot of upside. And so we're willing to take an interior offensive lineman that has versatility to play, you know, four out of the five uh, spots 
you know, that high because we, we trust in our ability to evaluate. So um, it wouldn't be crazy for him to go that high, but my sort of expectation for him, he'll probably go in the twenties if I was to guess today, but who knows at this point in time, mm-hmm. as for the quarterback conversation, um, you know, uh, I've gotten a lot of feedback on, on locked on Falcons in the, in the comment <laughs> section about this. So, um, you know, it's one of those things where like, I feel like the Falcons are of two minds, right? Like Matt Ryan is, has not been trending in the right direction the last couple of years. Uh, and so your part of you is, do we need to draft a quarterback to start playing for the post Matt Ryan era? And that has been a conversation. And I know, Kevin, you guys had a lot of conversations on Falcoholic Live last year about that conversation when the Falcons Falcons were picking fourth overall. And, and the conversation hasn't gone away after the season that we saw from Matt Ryan this year. And in fact, it's only going to continue to get louder until we can get Matt Ryan playing at, at a high level uh, on a more consistent basis moving forward. We saw flashes of that in 2021, but just not as much uh, consistently week to week as we would like to see. Uh, so that conversation is still going to be ongoing. But the other part of the conversation about drafting a quarterback, I think, um, is the Falcons backup quarterbacks are terrible. You know, I think going back to the A.J. McCarron, um, you know, Josh Rosen, Felipe Franks, well, it's just not a good general strategy. Obviously, given Matt Ryan's durability, for the most part, you're not necessarily really concerned about, you know, having a high level backup there. But that's part of the reason why it's advantageous, I think, for the Falcons to draft a quarterback that can not only be uh, potentially groomed down the road, whether that's a year or two from now or, or three or four years from now, uh, to potentially be a starter. And we we spend all this time, particularly last year, talking about how valuable it is to actually develop quarterbacks and not force them to play right away. So the Falcons still remain that situation that we talked about a year ago, as well as talked about this summer when we signed Josh Rosen and everybody was sitting here saying, oh, well, Josh Rosen's going to be a perfect reclamation project because he'll get to sit and learn in a great environment behind Matt Ryan. And the same applies to this upcoming quarterback class. So I think because of where this quarterback class is, is expected to be stacked where it's going to be a lot of guys that are perceived to be more late first round, early second round guys. I think the Falcons have a prime opportunity to get uh, a quarterback that, you know, in certain ways may be a little bit undervalued um, because they won't necessarily have to feel as compelled to reach on that guy earlier in the draft and will be able to get a, a decent player on day two of the draft. So whether that's Desmond Ritter or Malik Willis or some of these other guys that probably will get mentioned a lot into that conversation, you know, I think it makes perfect sense for the Falcons to, to, to take advantage of that opportunity and take a quarterback if, if for no other reason, just so we don't have to necessarily see uh, Felipe Franks and Josh Rosen, uh, you know, next summer uh, during the preseason. Yeah. You don't want to see the, the Felipe gun anymore. You're done with yeah. that. <laughs> Put him at tight end and let the, the rookie throw in the football. That's, that's oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, uh, DW, you got any takes on on the, uh, the possibility of the team adding a quarterback, not necessarily in the first round, but maybe on day two? Um, I'm a I'm in favor of it. Um, you know, when Twitter uh, sort of got into this conversation when Aaron brought this up, <laughs> was it this week? It may have been last week. Um, I actually, uh, my thought is this: uh, it is much more palatable to bust on a quarterback prospect that you took on day two than when you took on day one. Um, when you bust on a quarterback prospect, even if it's in the mid first round, 
that's painful. Look at what Green Bay's contemplating now with with Jordan Love. You know, they, they've seen some of him, uh, and they didn't take him in the top ten. They took him, you know, sort of in the back half of the first round. And you hear sort of the weeping and gnashing of teeth. What could we have gotten instead of Jordan Love? <laughs> you, you don't hear that as much with a, a second round pick, or you know, ideally a third round pick. So I'm with Matt Ryan being 37 this year. Um, with it being clear that you know he's got just a few years left, um, remembering that Tom Brady is the exception, not the rule. These guys generally don't get to play into their 40s because the the physical traits tend to fall off uh, once you hit that wall. Yeah, you have to start thinking about it. Um, and I like the idea of getting a quarterback on day two. I am not a fan of taking the quarterback in the first round. Uh, I don't think that the value is there. I don't think this is um, a team that is ready to bring in a, a quarterback in the first round. Plus, the the pressure to put that guy in. Uh, you know, if if you are planning on banking on Matt Ryan for two more years, you know, through twenty twenty three, and you take a quarterback in the first round, the first the first incompletion Matt Ryan throws fans are going to be clamoring. And I just don't want to put up. I don't want to go through that. But if you've got a Desmond Ritter in the second round, it's going to be less likely fans are going to be a little bit more patient. You know, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> just a little, a little maybe. Bit. <laughs> uh, maybe a little second bit more patient. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but I do want to point out one thing since 2009. Um, there's only been one time one of those draft classes where a quarterback was not taken in the top five. Um, and it was 2013. And the first quarterback taken was EJ Manuel. Uh, so, but every other draft class since 2009, uh, and I mean, you know, obviously you can go back to 2008, but I'm using it since Matt Ryan has been drafted. Since 2009, you've had a quarterback go in the top five, period, mm -hmm. except for 2013, the only exception. I point that out because if there's one constant in the NFL, it is that teams reach for quarterbacks, period. They and I, uh, there's a lot of talk right now. People saying, ah, oh, they're, you know, they're looking at the top five. They're thinking, no, quarterback's not going to go. None of these guys are worth it. It, it. it doesn't matter if they're worth it. Blake Bortles was not worth it. Mitch Trubisky was not worth it. None of these guys, EJ, you know, none of them were worth it. Yeah. But teams are going to do it. I, I, I think that trend's going to hold up. And, the only thing I question is whether you're going to be able to get a decent quarterback in the second round, because I think there's a possibility that a lot of these teams, um, you know, you look at like the, the Panthers, you think they want to run it back with Sam Darnold um, <laughs> and Cam Newton. There's a good chance that they're, they're looking at that. They're looking at the Broncos thinking, you know, they may be in the market for a quarterback. The giants may be in the market for a quarterback. Um, yeah. I, I think there's going to be some quarterback desperation play in those first five or six picks that everyone's sort of writing off and NFL history tells us that teams are dumb when it comes to quarterbacks. <laughs> they are, they're desperate. And that's part of the reason why I'm in favor of taking a quarterback, whether that's, you know, on day two, or if the Falcons were to get a late first round pick from some sort of trade that we're going to talk about shortly, um, that could be another potential place to, to take a quarterback because of the fifth year option and the extra control that gives you the extra time. But, um, you know, that it, what DW said was spot on. Like, the, the Giants are completely cleaning house. Um, there's very little chance, I think. Like, I, it was sort of assumed when when we thought briefly that they were going to keep Joe Judge, that they were going to stick with Daniel Jones. But they have two picks in the top seven. Like, do you really think they're not going to take a quarterback? Like, I mean, <laughs> I, I just, I find it hard to believe. Um, 
the first thing that a new GM usually does if they don't have an established starter is take a quarterback because that gives them at least three years to develop this quarterback. Um, so and like the Giants, like people will probably be like, oh well, it would probably be their later pick or something like that. No, like if the Giants want a quarterback and they like one of these guys, they're taking them at five. You know why? Because Carolina's picking at six. So um, those two are the teams to watch. Like the Giants and Carolina are the teams that are probably going to take quarterbacks. Um, Carolina would be absolutely foolish to not take one. And they've done, they did this to themselves. Like, I agree. Like, is there a quarterback legitimately deserving of six in this class? Probably not. But they did this to themselves. They could have had Justin Fields. They could have had Mac Jones. They decided to not do that because Sam Darnold. So they deserve it. Like, this is their fault. Like, you made this happen. So now you have to reach on a quarterback or you're, or it's Sam Darnold again. And we all know how that's going to go. The Panthers know how that's going to go. Matt Rule can't afford. Matt Rule will get fired if he doesn't take a quarterback. Like, can we agree? Like, if he doesn't, if he sticks with Sam Darnold this year and they go f- and they get five wins again, he's getting fired. Like, that's not going to work. So oh, yeah. now, if he takes a quarterback, that could buy him some time. Like, if that guy shows promise, it's like, oh, Matt Rule, he's got something cooking. You know, like it. This is sort of like a Thomas Dimitrov situation where it's like, oh, you should have fired him because now he's going to try to save his job. Well, Matt Rule's going to try to save his job too. He's taking a quarterback. So, um, but uh, you know. I do want to. We're going to continue on because we got a whole lot of stuff to talk about tonight. But um, the hate that Desmond Ritter's getting for not looking great against Alabama is just ridiculous. I'm, I'm, everyone, do you guys remember what you said to me about AJ Terrell? About oh, he got cooked in that championship game. First of all, he didn't really get cooked. I think he had a decent game. But like, oh no, he had a bad you know final game of college. Can't draft him. You know, like. Did you watch his other, you know, 30 games or 40 games or whatever he put up? Because those ones also count. You know, it's not just the last one that matters. Um, and uh, it's just not fair to the, for, to, to, to Ritter. Uh, and, you know, I think if you look at his body of work, I think there's certainly things to be concerned about. That's why he's not being talked about as like a top 10 guy, as a slam dunk guy. But um, this is the type of quarterback that Arthur Smith would want. Like, if you don't, I, like, I thought this last year, too. Like, this is the type of guy that Arthur Smith wants. I mean, Draft Network comps him to Ryan Tannehill. I mean, it's it's literally like, uh, you know, this is the guy that, that Smith has worked with. And, and I think he wants a mobile quarterback. Not that he uses his quarterback on designed runs all the time, but he the threat of the quarterback running is, is a part of the offense. You know, Ryan Tannehill has had, like, what, 8 to 10 rushing touchdowns every year under Arthur Smith. So, um Ritter's a legit dual threat. Like he he's an athlete. Uh he has a great arm. You could you could trash Cincinnati's score in that game, but Ritter had like two or three bullets dropped. Uh that would have been huge gains, possibly touchdowns in that in that game against Alabama. He was he was balling and and you know, look, he didn't look great against Alabama, but not a lot of group of five players look great when they play Alabama for the first time. So I'm not necessarily holding that against him. Um and if you want you know, another glimpse into Ritter in particular, uh, the draft dudes podcast. If you guys have anybody listens to that, if you don't, it's a great show. Uh, they had Jordan Palmer, who's one of the, uh, preeminent QB gurus, uh, a guy that works with all the top drop draft prospects, works with NFL teams, does a lot of good stuff. He was effusive with his praise for Ritter. Ritter's worked with him for the last two years, uh, before he was draft eligible. Um, and he raves about the guy. The main thing is that Ritter is a stickler for details. He's detail oriented. He buys into all the little things about improving the stuff that that guys usually don't care about until they're well within their time in the league. Uh, Ritter does these things. Um, he's a leader. He's he's a gamer. 
Uh, and he's a winner. Like, yeah, maybe you don't care because it's at Cincinnati, but Ritter did something that no other group of five quarterback has ever done, and that's take his team to the college football playoff. Uh, so, you know, before you crap on him, maybe, you know, don't just crap all over the guy because he played for Cincinnati. Like, you know, he beat a lot of good teams this year. He didn't just beat up on, you know, uh, crappy AAC teams. You know, AAC has some decent teams in it sometimes. UCF, not so much this year, but, you know, some some years. Uh, but, you know, that's my piece about Ritter. If you don't want them to take Ritter, that's fine. But uh, if you don't think Ritter's getting drafted high or isn't going to be given consideration as a franchise quarterback, you're, you're out of your mind because I can tell you right now there's a lot of NFL teams that like him. So uh, that's, that's my piece there. You know, deal with it. Uh, all right, moving on. Let's see. I think we got some more questions before we transition to let's – get to, let's get to the Ridley talk real quick. Um, I know we had uh, Jason Gaines was saying that, yeah, the, Fal- the Falcons should consider getting uh, day two picks for Ridley um, and an earlier uh, – Donation of two dollars. Thank you, Jason. Um, yeah, and and I think it's we should touch on the Ridley thing a little bit. Uh, obviously, there's a lot we don't know. Um, it's all speculation at this point. We don't necessarily know if Ridley really wants out, or people are just saying he wants out. We don't know if the Falcons want to trade Ridley, or if it's only Ridley that wants to go, or anything really. So we're just going to talk about the possible compensation and why Ridley is worth, I think, more than people think. Um, and it's just that these types of players this early in their rookie contract don't usually get traded. Uh, they usually get re-signed, that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I personally think I wouldn't consider trading him for less than a first. I think we had some sort of report today that, um, you know, NFL teams are sort of expecting that the price for Ridley is a first. Um, but I, I wanted to give you guys a chance to talk about it too, because I talked about it a lot last week as well, but, uh, DW, you know, on the Ridley situation, you know, do you think a trade is likely? And if if a trade is on the table, you know, what sort of compensation are you sort of expecting to get in return? I I would say at this point, the odds of Ridley being out of Atlanta is, you know, 50-50. It's a coin toss. Um, and, you know, the thing to keep in mind is a lot of these reports, they're, they're less reports and they're more speculation than, you know, hardened facts. We know, we still know very little about what, you know, is going on. Arthur Blank, uh, all the way down the organization. No one's talking. Um, the only thing we've seen from Calvin Ridley was the Snapchat that got people lit up like uh, Times Square Christmas trees, and I don't think it meant as much as people wanted to extrapolate <laughs> that it meant. Right. Um, but I, I do think there's a possibility that you know he he did not finish the season. He only played I think five games, um, and you, you've got to think that you know the Falcons are thinking long term. Um, I personally, if if he wants to come back, would have him back. You know, yes. I'm not of the mind that we need to to ship him out. I still think he's a very good uh, and a very capable wide receiver. One. That said, um, because of that, I, I don't think you should give him up for anything less than a first round pick. That doesn't mean it has to be a, a pick in the top five. You know, if you got a pick in the twenties, uh, I think the the value's there. That's where you basically where you got him. Um, you know, that's that's my own opinion. Uh, I think Ridley still has a lot of good years ahead of him. And, you know, wide receiver is a position that normally takes guys a few years before they can heat, before they can really hit their peak productivity. 
And Calvin has already, you know, sort of gotten through that hump. You know, he 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 appears to be a guy that can give you, you know, thirteen hundred to fifteen hundred yards a year, and and has actually been quite exceptional in the red zone. So that's what teams are looking for, and I think that has a lot of value. So yeah, I I want him back if he is willing to be back. I think the tricky thing here is the Falcons are in a bit of a pickle because uh, I think they want to do the right thing where Ridley is concerned. Uh, and when you're talking about mental health, um, that is, you know, that is a subject that mm, I don't even know how to say this delicately. Um, some teams are going to let that impact their perception um, and rightfully or wrongly, they're, they're going to let uh, factor into the conversation. And, you know, I think the Falcons are going to be hesitant to make any big moves because there's also going to be this perception that, oh, you're, you had a player that struggled with mental health and you just wanted to ship him off. And, you know, that's where this situation gets really hairy for the franchise. Yeah. I I think they want to do the right thing. I think they want to do the right thing for uh, good reasons, but also because there's, there are PR implications for them that, um, you know, they're, they're thinking about, not just from how fans perceive them, but how other players perceive the franchise. Hey, if I if I begin to struggle with these issues, are the Falcons going to ship me off if I go and play for them? Um, so the way they handle Ridley over the next few months in that situation is going to um, it's going to have bigger implications than just the the structure of the team and you know the, the draft compensation they get. Um, and honestly, I, I want it to be handled delicately because um, I'll tell you that the minute. Um, and I know you guys saw this too. The minute it came out that you know he was taking a mental health break, I I saw a lot of great responses from fans. Majority of responses were were very supportive, but I saw a lot of toxic ones immediately. Some toxic responses to it, and um, frankly, I think the NFL and the Falcons could be a leader in this situation in helping to change the perception of mental health in sports, and particularly mental health with men. And Aaron, I know when you and I talked. Uh, you brought out uh, specifically uh, the struggles of mental health with black men and how that is even more of a stigma. Um, and I think the Falcons could be leaders here. And that's why I think this situation has to be handled like with the utmost of urgency and importance. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Aaron, is there anything you wanted to add on to the Ridley discussion as well? I agree with everything DW said. It's, it's an interesting situation. And because as you guys put it, there's a lot of speculation going on and not very many hard facts and, and data or whatever the case may be. We're just kind of sort of just waiting and, and sort of seeing how how things play out. But, you know, from my perspective, you know, I hope Calvin really comes back because I think him on the football team makes his football team a better football team, just purely talking football as, a, as opposed to the off-field stuff. And I'll piggyback on all the things that DW said there. But, you know, I feel like, this team is in a better place by having Calvin Ridley on the football field and trying to trade him for whatever they get for him. Um, and then trying to, you know, replace him with, you know, a free agent that's going to be pricey, uh, a draft pick where, you know, wide receivers don't typically come into the league and hit the ground right away. We know we see Jamar chase, we see Justin Jefferson, you know, have the success that they've had the last couple of years, but that's not the norm. Uh, You're seeing a lot more guys that are performing like Jalen Rieger uh, coming out of the gates uh, into the NFL, even some of those high round picks uh, than necessarily on that level. So, you know, this whole situation, as DW said, from the PR standpoint, potentially gets hairy but 
just purely from a football standpoint, trying to replace the potential value that Calvin really could bring to the football field gets Harry. So I agree with you guys. Like if the Falcons are going to trade him, um, I feel like the only way you can justify it is, is by getting a first round pick and, and a pretty high first round pick to get it. But because I'm the classic half glass or half, uh, yeah, glass half empty. I can never say that correctly. Uh, <laughs> type of person i'm not going into this situation that if calvin really does get traded uh and the, and the speculation is sort of pushing us in that direction to think that is in the inevitable outcome here but again we'll see how it plays out um you know i don't go into this situation expecting to get a first round pick i expect typically when it comes to trading players you usually get like the round lower than what the player is worth uh so if calvin Ridley's worth a top 15 pick that probably means you're going to get a, a early second round pick or something like that so we'll see how it all plays out but um right now it, it it's hard for me to be particularly optimistic how however it plays out um if the falcons wind up trading calvin Ridley, okay they get a draft pick maybe even a good draft pick uh, but they lose something on the football field that is probably not going to get replaced. Uh, and, you know, if they, they keep Calvin really, hopefully it all works out there. That to me is my preferred outcome uh, where that to me seems like the most favorable thing for the, for at least the football team and all parties involved. Yeah. it It's hard to replace Calvin Ridley immediately. Like, you know, you look at it objectively, like from a numbers and draft standpoint, you're like, oh, well, you could get a first round pick, spend that on a wide receiver and you get $11 million. So that's going to fix all your problems. It's like, well, you know, sure. If you draft a great, if you hit on that pick and you spend that $11 million on a good free agent, then it's like, okay, maybe the scales tip in favor of that. But those things don't happen as often as you think, like maybe 50% chance you hit on the pick, maybe 50% chance you hit on the free agent. So, you know, to hit on both, maybe 25% chance altogether. So, like, it's not a sure thing, and and it's hard to replace the continuity that you lose with, with Ridley as well. Like, if Ridley's not here, it's sort of like, do we, you know, now have to shell out money for Russell Gage so that Matt Ryan at least has somebody in the wide receiver room that he's familiar with? Um, because you can't just expect things to just, you know, a guy to come in and immediately have great chemistry with Ryan. I mean, as good as Kyle Pitts was, that didn't happen. You know, it, it takes time to build that relationship up. Um, so it's, it's, it's tough to, to make it work. Obviously, I think the offense, the offense wouldn't be as good without Calvin Ridley. That's if, if Ridley's playing and he's at full strength and he's out there giving it his all, I mean, Ridley's a, a, a very good NFL wide receiver. So replacing that is very difficult. Um, so it really just depends. But again, I, I agree with what you guys were saying that it has to be handled delicately by the team. I also think it matters a lot for Terry Fontenot where he's sort of, if, Regardless of whether it's true or not, the perception that all you have to do is, you know, make enough of a stink and, and Atlanta will trade you for peanuts, like, that's something that Fontenot has to be conscientious of, and, you know, I'm not accusing Ridley of doing that, I don't think that's the case, but a lot of people, you could tell people are saying these things, and, and Fontenot has to be careful with his own reputation, which is why I think either either a good offer comes in and they take it, or they don't trade him. Like, I don't think they're taking a third-round pick just to get Ridley out of here. I think... um you know they they will want a premium pick for him. They'll they will maintain that's what he's worth because he is. Um, and if teams are unwilling to part with that because they're you know nervous about the mental health stuff, you know that then he's not getting traded. Um, and you know I think that's sort of where we are. It's it's is a team willing to to make the trade or not? Um, either way, I think it's going to be difficult. Um, 
you know, um, but until we know for sure, like, is Ridley actually demanding a trade? You know, we don't know that. Um, if he is demanding a trade, it changes the calculus a little bit. It probably hurts the Falcons' position and all that. But again, totally unconfirmed. You know, if it's if it comes out that Ridley's fine staying in Atlanta and the Falcons are fine keeping him, then you know, there's no problem. It's sort of like, okay, we'll assume he's going to be here until something changes. Um, so it we got a long way to go with that situation, but... Uh, I do think that if it does go down, the Falcons are, are going to be um, asking for a premium pick. Like, it's going to be a late first at minimum. Um, and you can already tell there's but. Like, go on Twitter. He's a trending topic, Calvin Ridley. Like, this is, this is a, like, people might be like, oh, nobody's interested. You know, they're too afraid of, of his, you know, mental health concerns, possibly. Like, you, they're not that concerned. Like, <laughs> like... Everybody in the NFL's got injury concerns. There's always a chance somebody gets hurt when with, or doesn't play for a, a multitude of reasons. Um, so it's really not that different from any other injury concern. Um, it's just there's going to be offers, there's going to be a competition, and I think at the end of the day, you know, whether it gets done or not depends on on how good the offer is, and and that's uh, you know that's what'll determine whether it happens or not. If a team comes with a good enough offer, the Falcons will probably be tempted to do it. If the offer's not good enough, then Ridley will be here in 2022, and hopefully the offense will benefit as a result. So that's where we are. Um, all right. Let's see. Uh, if I miss – I'm trying to get caught up exactly on the tip. If I miss one of you guys' tips, please remind me. But we got uh, Brandon Brass with the $3 asks uh, – thank you, Brandon, by the way. He says, who do you think we will get as the new running back coach with uh, the current guy leaving for Virginia? Honestly, I have no idea. Um, I uh, – Running back coach scouting, not really something that's in my purview. I did look up to see who the Bears running back coach was, but it was Charles London who's already with the Falcons coaching mm-hmm. quarterback. So um, I don't know. Does anybody have any potential, you know, sleepers for, for running back coach? Or we Anybody have done that deep dive? Uh, Bring in <laughs> Jamal Anderson. <laughs> there you go. There you go, Jamal Anderson. Yeah. I will be honest with you. I, I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, Hire no, someone good. I'm particularly invested in. Yeah, uh, so, not yeah, on my yeah. radar. Yeah, at yeah. this point. So, um, yeah. So sorry, sorry, Brandon. I I haven't dug that deep into the running back coach uh, tree. Uh, something I you know maybe I could expand my purview to that at some point, but not right now. But we do have another question from Brandon with another three dollars. Thank you so much, Brandon. He says thoughts on trading back, potentially grabbing Nakobe Dean or David Ajabo in the first round. Um, I like Dean. I like Ajabo. Uh. And I would consider taking them after a trade back. Um, but uh, yeah, does, does anybody have like strong opinions on, you know, I think we're all in favor of a trade back if the compensation's good enough. Um, mm-hmm. And and they're not passing on someone like Kyle Hamilton, who I'd, I think if Kyle Hamilton's there, it's tough to trade back because it's like, I want him. But, um, you know, anybody have deep thoughts on Nicobe Dean or David Ajabo in particular? I am not as in love with Ojabo as others are. Um, I, when I evaluate him, I see him more as a late first round pick in a conventional draft, but getting back to the point made earlier on the show, like this draft is kind of weird. And so there may be guys that traditionally would grade out as mid to late first rounders that are going to wind up being going in the top 10 and, and Ojabo could be one of those guys. He has a lot of upside. Um, I think he's probably a little bit more of a de- developmental guy. 
than maybe uh, an instant impact guy. And, and that's why I kind of value him more as a late first round than a guy that you traditionally take in the top 10 that you, you generally expect, at least as far as edge rushers go, that are going to come in right away and have a lot of success um, early in the league. Um, as for Dean, I'm, I'm a big fan of it as a player. I'll, I'll be curious to see how NFL teams value him because, you know, I don't know what he's going to measure in at, but he, he looks like a guy that's like 5'10", 220 pounds yeah. right, on, on the football field. And traditionally, those guys do not get drafted highly in the NFL. Uh, I think that was a big reason why, as you mentioned, Kevin, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa fell to the second round because teams were like, we don't like small linebackers. But N'Kobe Dean, I think, when you kind of compare him to other undersized linebackers, a guy that was very talented when he came out, but was a second round pick was Levante David. And Dean kind of reminds me of that yeah. type of guy yeah. that, is, you know, I think Dean, David was like 215 pounds when he played at Nebraska um, and, and played bigger than his size would indicate. Uh, and I think Dean is one of those guys that plays that way. So, um, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how high he goes. Like, traditionally in a, in a typical draft again like he probably wouldn't go in the top 15 uh just because the way that nfl teams you know value measurables particularly early in the draft but again this year's draft class because it's not necessarily strong in some of the traditional areas you know some team may just look at it and look this this guy's you know arguably one of the five to eight best players in the draft uh he's worth a top 10 pick and, and the falcons could be having that conversation as well particularly when we talk about this linebacker position where there is a lot of change uh potentially that could happen this offseason where foye luakun is a free agent and who knows if he's back uh deon jones is not a free agent but who knows if he's back you know so that sort of thing <laughs> right. um so the falcons could be looking by the time we get to you know we got to get through march and see what happens with free agency and, and potential trades and whatnot but you know the linebacker need could be significantly higher uh yeah. by the time we get to april than it appears to be right now and, and then someone like a, a nicobe dean could definitely be on the radar and as i said like traditionally i would be like oh, it's an off-ball linebacker that's not a guy that you traditionally take that high but like i do think dean is the kind of the guy that has the potential to be sort of the exception to the rule and the outlier here and i i would not be at all upset uh if he wound up being the falcons pick yeah i mean i think if they do like trade back to 20 with Pittsburgh, for instance, like I think the 20th overall pick is a good spot for Dean. Um, and I agree with you. Levante David is, I definitely get Levante David vibes from him in that his physicality is not a concern. Like <laughs> he might be 220, 5'11, who cares? Like he, he's not, it's not a concern, you know, like um, he's not someone who's going to have trouble making tackles at the NFL level. And just some guys are built different, you know, some guys are that size and ha and they're they play like it and some guys are that size and they play like they're 63240. They just don't move like they're 63240, you know. So, um I think he is a special player, but um you know, we'll see. We'll see where he goes, but uh you know, Dean and and Oluwokan or Oluwokan, uh you know, they get him in here. They get they get him next to to Foyer and I think that's a dynamic duo. Um but again, how high do you value off off ball linebacker? Uh, that's that's a question that this this coaching staff and this you know regime we haven't really seen yet how highly exactly they value that position. So we'll, we'll have to see. But uh, yeah, you know Devin Lloyd is another guy at linebacker um, who who could be drafted high. So names to watch for sure, uh, particularly if they do trade Deion Jones, and especially if if uh, Foyer walks, you know, then it's like, okay, well, we're probably drafted a linebacker high if both those guys go out the door. So, um, 
All right, we got uh, Ulysses with the ten dollars. He says, "Thank you, Ulysses." He says, "Here's my opinion that no one will care about." Well, we care, Ulysses. We'll read it off. Um, I I would trade down if Ham if Kyle Hamilton or Derek Stingley aren't there at eight. Um, then I would consider to draft a quarterback that falls. Uh, however, I'd rather have the best defensive back in this draft over some of the uh, uh, top defensive line or offensive linemen that aren't Evan Neal, Kayvon Thibodeau, etc. Yeah, I mean, I think you could make a case that the top three corners are a lot better than the top three, like, offensive linemen, defensive linemen. I mean, I guess, like, with maybe not edge so much. You know, I think that the top three of Thibodeau, Hutchinson, and, and Karloftis is pretty good, too. But, you know, the cornerback group of, of Stingley, I mean, I have Booth one, but, you know, I'm not going to quibble over it. You know, Booth, Stingley, Sauce. I mean, I, it, Aaron, I think you have Sauce number one, which I thought was spicy. But, uh, um. I won't argue. Like, I mean, I think they're all great corners. So, I mean, yeah, I, I honestly don't disagree with you, Ulysses, in that I think if I was looking for best player available, the best chance to get the best player available in terms of defensive players is, if it's not Kyle Hamilton, it's probably someone like Andrew Booth at eight. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, what do you guys think about possibility of corner at eight? Is that something that you would consider? Yeah. Um, I, I like Sauce. I think... Because he doesn't have the injury question marks that Stingley has, he mm. could be the first corner off the board. We've seen the last couple of years corners like him, you know, press man corners with the, the length and the athleticism that he has tend to rise up draft boards. Uh, we saw that with J.C. Horn last year. We saw that with C.J. Henderson the year before, where if you were looking at mock drafts in January going into those drafts, those guys were being projected to be late first round picks, similar to what you're seeing with sauce right now. So I do think probably by the time we get to the draft time, he will be considered, you know, in a lock to be the top 10 uh, based off of that. So I wouldn't have any problem taking either one of those guys, sauce or Stingley. They're kind of neck and neck for me in terms of my evaluation. The only reason I put sauce ahead of Stingley is just because of the, you don't have the injury concerns with uh, sauce as you, as you potentially do with Stingley dealing with some of those ankle and, and foot injuries he's been dealing with the last two years. Um, you know, I am not as high on, on booth as, as you are apparently Kevin, but I do like him a lot. Uh, I just watched Trent McDuffie. I like him a lot. Um, I like Kyner Elam a lot. I like Roger McCreary a lot. So, I, you know, I, I think Darion Kendrick is, is a pretty good, uh, sort of top 50 talent. So I feel like there's a lot of really good corners in this draft that yeah, uh, yeah. potentially can go high in the first round. Maybe one of those guys slips to the Falcons at 43. Um, so you may not necessarily feel as compelled to take one of those guys high, but um, certainly I, I think there's an opportunity for the Falcons to get a really good corner at some point uh, early in this draft uh, based off what I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. DW, you got takes on whether corner at eight is acceptable. Um. Unless you believe Fabian Moreau's a future, <laughs> and look, I, actually, I've I've defended Fabian Moreau this year because you know I who think... you're talking to D W. This is a pro <laughs> yeah, Fabian. This is a pro Fabian Moreau show here. Okay, so it's fine. Yeah, um, I, I don't think he's uh, your best option at cornerback too. I think he's your best option when you can only afford to pay a million dollars a year. Um, he's good for that. He, he's a good million yeah, dollar a year. No, corner. I think he. Yeah. I think we got more than we paid, uh, which is what I was excited about. But if you told me that the Falcons had the potential on defense to have two bookend corners, um, that's that's a really good thing to have in the NFL. If you can't have 
and it, it may take it may take more than one year to fix the pass rush, folks. Yeah. Like it's not going to be overnight. But if you can immediately have a secondary that can shut down your the two best receivers for another team, um, that is that's going to give you some improvements um, by having a, a positional group that's a strength that is a premier position group. So yeah, I love the idea of having you know the, one of the best corners on the board come off to the Falcons because uh, uh, you pair them up with AJ Terrell, uh, give that corner a year in 2023. If you've got two true uh, number one cornerbacks, um, that's that is a nightmare for other offenses that don't have stacked talent across the board. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it's one way to make the defense better quicker as opposed to just focusing only on fixing the pass rush, which is probably, like I said, that is probably going to be a multi-year project uh, to to get that fixed. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And speaking of the pass rush and multi-year rebuilds, uh, we've got another question from Don Emery uh, with $10. He says, who are some of those day two edge rushers that might be on the Falcons radar? And there's a lot, you know, this is a very deep edge class and like, uh, it's also a deep corner class. So like day two, if the Falcons do pick up, you know, extra day two picks for various reasons, they already have one extra one. It's possible they could get more with the trade down or something like that or trades of other players. Um, so, um, you know, Jermaine Johnson, I love, I just finished fully scouting him. Um, trying to watch a lot of the guys at the senior bowl. So, so far I've done Majai Sanders and, and Jermaine Johnson fully. Um, and Johnson, I love, and, and, uh, I, I'm not surprised he's crept up into the first round, uh, because he is, uh, he's got great size. He's got some, he's really just an all around good player. Like he's got good size. He's strong. He's quick. He's good sideline to sideline, uh, good effort, you know, super smart. Um, I just so rarely saw him get fooled by anything. He's always playing his role correctly. So I really like Jermaine Johnson, but he's probably going to be day one by the time it's all said and done. Um, Sanders, I feel like I'm a lot lower on than most. Um, he's listed at 255. That man looks like he's like 235 pounds soaking wet. Um, and you could tell when he tried to play the run because he got washed out all the time. So uh, he's quick, uh, hair on fire type of dude. And I like that. Uh, but I just, I don't, he doesn't bend like, um, and I, I mean, he bends a little bit, but like, if you're not going to be 260 plus pounds, you're not going to be winning with power. I need you to bend and he doesn't bend. So I, I, I I think he's got some juice. I think he can be like a quickness guy, but to me right now, he's more of like a third rounder, but he's someone to consider. You know, I know a lot of folks like, uh, Trayvon Walker. He really came on at the end of the season. Um, you know, someone to consider for sure. Another one of those like heavy sort of tweener guys. Um, you know, I've, I've been a big fan of Kingsley and Agbari uh, for a while. Uh, you know, again, not like a super high ceiling guy, but as like an edge two that's going to come in and get you like six to eight sacks a year and, and probably be, a, you know, he needs to tighten up against the run a little bit, but, um, you know, I like that. Uh, and there's a bunch of other guys too, you know, Logan Hall, Nick Benito, uh, someone mentioned Cam Thomas earlier, you know, Arnold Ebiketti, but, um, yeah, Aaron, anybody on day two that you like so far in terms of, uh, edge rushers? Yeah, I mean, I, I got to give Jermaine Johnson a second pass because my initial watching of him, I, I wasn't that high on him. But you're one of many people that I've heard recently express a lot of praise. The for late, him. the late season games, I thought he had more juice. Like I watched his early games, and I thought he looked a little, t- little winded. And then late in the season, he he looked a lot more consistent. So okay. give, it, give it a try. Give it a try. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I like some of the players that are being projected as first round picks. 
Um, you know, it seems like there's five guys that I think most people sort of agree are, are going to go in the first. And I, I like all those guys, Hutchinson, Thibodeau, Ojabo. I, I'm a big fan of Trayvon Walker. I feel like he's very raw. Uh, but you know, there's a little bit of Daniil Hunter in him, yeah. Where he he may be not the most polished guy coming out, but we may be looking back at him five years from now, and he may be the most talented guy out of this draft class of this edge group. I'm a big fan of Carl Laftis, but I've heard like conflicting reports on how high he's going to get drafted. Um, but you know, I don't really see Carl Laftis as a pure edge. I see him more yeah. as a, you know. And I'm going to use a name, and I don't think he's going to be as good as this player, but he's more the style of player that J.J. Watt is, mm-hmm. uh, which is more of a, a bigger sort of D-in that can play maybe some 3-4 stuff. Uh, I, I've watched Cameron Thomas. I, I think he's very good, um, and, and so I think he's also in that sort of late first-round mix, so I'm not expecting him to be there on day two. Of the guys that are being projected on day two, the Drake Jacksons, the the Majai Sanders, I haven't watched Logan Hall yet. Uh, but you know, Enig Barre, nobody really sort of stood out uh, to me as like, oh yeah, I definitely want that guy. So for me, I guess like uh, my initial watching of this class, it feels like if the Falcons aren't getting you know one of those top five or six guys uh, in round one, you're you're getting more of a developmental guy uh, that could wind up turning into a, a really good pro down the road, but maybe not a guy that's going to necessarily move the needle as a day one starter right away. So um, there's still plenty of guys I still need to watch. And and maybe that opinion changes by the time we get to the draft uh, when I watch more of those guys. But uh, yeah, there wasn't anybody on day two that I'm like, yeah, I want that guy. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, I haven't watched in depth more than just a handful of guys at this point. And it's more, you know, sort of like the live watching and then sort of catching up on everybody else's opinions too. But uh there's a lot of names. There's still like a lot of guys I have to get to. So we'll see if anybody else stands out. But DW, I, you probably heard about a lot of these guys too. I don't know how hard you've been grinding the tape yet. Cause you know, unless you're like a degenerate, like Aaron and I, you probably weren't doing this, you know, during He's the season, degenerate, but... All right, but probably not with tape. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely a degenerate. Yeah. Any names you like though? Uh, so far. Uh, I mean, I, I actually like the, um, Logan Hall, and I, yeah. I think you yeah. took him in your mock draft. Actually, I did. So, yeah, second. Yeah, um, yeah, and and honestly, uh, just in general, with what everyone's saying, and I'm no draft specialist, but with what everyone's saying about the edge class, uh, it may make sense to um, you know sort of double dip on this position mm-hmm. in day two. Uh, Falcons have currently three uh, picks in day two, two in the second round, uh, and then the third round pick. And you know, if that's where the value is at. Uh, you stand a better chance when you get into day two of taking guys, multiple guys at the position, like getting, and here's the thing. If you take, like, if you told me right now, the Falcons are going to take, you know, offensive tackle or corner in the first round. Right. But then all three day two picks, were going to be edge guys. Okay. Fair. Like it, worst case, you know, if, if one guy hits out of three, at least you used day. You found the guy that that you hit on in day two. If by some miracle you find three legitimate pass rushers in day two, that is a fantastic problem to have. Like <laughs> right. there are premium positions where uh, I don't think you can have enough of them. Like if you have enough of them, all of a sudden you've got trade capital, and you know th- that's and pass rusher is one of them. So. Uh, as far as these day two guys, my 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 pick is draft all of them, take them all. 
Yeah, just, you know, sometimes the secret is more darts. You know, everybody likes to think that they're just great talent evaluators, but the most consistent teams in terms of the ones that get good drafts is the ones that have more darts to throw. More picks, Uh, yep. uh, Because it's more of a crapshoot than anyone will ever admit. So, (laughs) you know, we're all just hoping for the best. Uh, It's educated guessing. You know, it's kind of like fantasy football. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, sometimes you have the right process and the guy gets hurt. Sometimes, you know... Everything goes right and it just goes wrong. So it's like that sometimes. Yeah, you know. Uh, oh yeah, Brandon uh, mentions Drake Jackson. Drake Jackson is another one. Um, I watched a little bit of him and I was like kind of disappointed, but I haven't completed it yet. Um, but you know, definitely someone to consider. I know he has a lot of fans for sure. Um, one final tip uh, from Nico with the five dollars. He says this is for the mini bar bill when you're net- networking with all the movers <laughs> and shakers. Thank you so much, Nico. I'll be sure to put that towards good put it to very good use that five dollars uh i don't know if that'll be enough to buy me anything in the mini bar but if i go to like an actual you know bar at happy hour that probably will buy something so thank you so much for that um all right well we've been here for 90 minutes uh i've taken enough of your guys time there's a whole off season left to get to some of these topics but uh, i appreciate uh everyone for the questions i appreciate dw and aaron for for doing a deep dive here of mostly draft and, you know, moving on from the 2021 season, which was difficult, but necessary. So we can look forward, uh, before we take off one last time, remind you guys, please like, and subscribe. Thank you guys so much for watching. Those metrics really help us out. Leave a comment after the show ends. That helps other folks find us on YouTube. Apparently I don't know the algorithms, but you know, we all are bound to them. Uh, that that's our lot in life. So thanks for that. If you do, uh, check out the Patreon page. If you're interested in supporting the show, patreon.com slash Falcoholic live, uh, also, uh, please do give our guests a follow. First of all, we had with us David Walker. He's at Falcoholic DW. He goes by DW. No one calls him David Walker except me. Um, he's also the host of the Falcoholic podcast, among other things. DW, anything else you'd like to plug tonight? Uh, just the Falcoholic podcast. We've got some uh, interesting conversations. I spoke with Scott Beer at AtlantaFalcons.com this week about NFL roster building, uh, just general philosophies, but obviously – uh, we couldn't help but talk about how that applies to the Falcons. It's an interesting conversation. I think you guys will enjoy it, uh, especially if you're beginning to think about how to construct a roster as we are with the Falcons because they're not in the playoffs because they suck. And <laughs> uh, and that is that's that is up on the Falcoholics, uh, uh, iTunes, Google, wherever you can find your podcast. So yes, check it out. I still have to listen to that one, but I'm very excited to hear Scott because he's a fun interview for sure. Uh, great guy. Fun guy. All right. Finally, last but not least, we have Aaron Freeman at Falc Fans, host of the Locked On Falcons podcast and occasional columnist at thefalcoholic.com. Aaron, anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, yeah, no, check out Locked On Falcons uh, now on YouTube. Uh, just posted an episode tonight. We're talking about improving the pass rush and looking at the Bengals who will be playing this weekend uh, as a team that had 17 sacks a year ago. Uh, so actually worse than the Falcons pass rush. Somehow. They had 42 sacks this past year on their way to get back into the postseason and looking at some of the strategies that they did to sort of improve that pass rush. They went heavy in free agency. I don't know if the Falcons will go as heavy in free agency, but that is certainly uh, an opportunity for the Falcons to, to borrow for some of these teams that over the last you know several years have been able to make big improvements on their pass rush. So go check that out on Locked on Falcons. And of course, the audio version of the podcast drops at midnight uh, later tonight and then of course is available on all your favorite podcast platforms so uh if you're more invested in 
recapping the 2021 season uh, than we did on tonight's episode. Uh, there will be plenty of sort of position-by-position position breakdowns on Lockdown Falcons uh, in the coming days and weeks. Uh, already did the quarterback position earlier this week, got the running backs coming on Friday uh, and, and get through some of these other position groups over the next couple of weeks. So if you're interested in hearing my thoughts on those things, you can, of course, check that out on Lockdown Falcons. Absolutely, guys. Great stuff there for sure. Check it out. Uh, yeah, guys, I'm Kevin Knight at Falcoholic Kevin. Uh, my mock draft came out Tuesday on the Falcoholic.com. Uh, it made a lot of people very mad, which I enjoyed. So, um, if you want to be mad or maybe not mad, if you, you know, and if you, if you agreed with what we were saying on tonight's show, you'll, you'll love it. If you thought we were idiots, then you'll, you should still click on it. But yeah, you probably wouldn't like it as much. Um, but that's there for your enjoyment. Um, I've got some other stuff coming out this week as well. Uh, and I'll be going full on into some free agency cap space stuff uh, next week, as well as getting out uh, some Senior Bowl previews. So keep an eye out for that stuff. And again, I will be at the Senior Bowl in two-ish weeks um, to uh, get the scoop on who the Falcons are interested in, uh, see how guys are performing there as we move towards the Combine and the rest of draft season. So guys, once again, thank you so much for tuning in to the Falcoholic Live. We hope you enjoyed the show. Uh We will see you guys again next Wednesday. Now at our new permanent time of 8 o'clock p.m. No more 8.10, RIP. Um, But, you know, it it had to happen. You know, it's time. It's time to switch to a normal time um, because the show's good enough now. We don't need to be the show that has a random 8.10 start time to to make you remember, okay? We're good enough for 8 o'clock. So uh, that's where we'll (laughs) be from now on. Um, (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the laugh. Appreciate that.